0: you'd like to turn with the two judges chapter six we'll start <clears throat> from that ne- from there um i picked this as one to go back and give because i always loved growing up the story of gideon as well as samson and several other judges of israel but gideon was always uh, one of my favorite we had old uh, vhs tape it was a super book it was a cartoon um some kind of about roughly Bible stories and kids that would like open a book and go back in time and live through it. This is one of the stories and I always enjoy watching that as a kid. So if you'd like to follow along um, from Judges chapter 6 and verse one read really the first several verses there. <clears throat> it says, "...and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years." And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them the dens, which are in the mountains and caves, and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had, had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till they came unto, unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for. Mul- multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in, the, in whose land ye dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, then this sounds relatively familiar, as it should. Once again, we see God has blessed the children of Israel, His people, allowed them to overthrow all before them, allowed them to prosper in the land. And they, but they have not done as He instructed them, to not fear the gods of the Amorites. But Israel has humanity tends to do. Um, they become too self-centered, a little too entitled, and they forget about all the wonderful things that God had done for them and the commandments that He had set forth for them. So we see that God uh, hands them over to the Midianites. And just for reference, the last verse of chapter 5, the previous chapter here, this is the time Israel says was rest for 40 years. God delivered them and they were at peace 40 years and they turned back their ways within that some four decades. Not only did God give them over to the Midianites, but, we, but he allowed them to be severely persecuted. Uh, we're told here that the, the Midianites were as numerous as locusts. They were without number. Both they and their camels were without number. They came and we're told that they destroyed everything in the land. They destroyed all the produce. They left none to be had. They killed or they took all their oxen, the sheep, the donkeys. It was so horrible that they were forced to dig caves, we read. Excuse me. Dig caves in the mountains to go hide in. If they were to try and sow any new seed and, and the Midianites found out when it came time to harvest, they would come and they would take whatever the land may have produced. I mean, imagine that for a moment. Someone comes into our country and comes in and they Strip all the farms of everything, all the cows, all the crops, all the stores. We have convenience stores. Everything is robbed and taken. And many of us here lose our homes, lose um, our lives. Many people lose their lives and take everything. And if we even try to grow a garden or have chickens or something for eggs, and they find it when they come through, they may kill us. They would take all of our food and all of our animals and our produce. They were severely persecuted. I think this is something we should keep... um, in our minds when things aren't going well for us. Firstly, God does not do bad things to us. God allows things to take their natural course, and that's a result of sin that was brought about by man into the world. And I always remember that. And that secondly, we're told in Matthew 6 and 33 that if we seek first the kingdom of God, that these things are a necessity of life, they will be given to us. So do as we be instructed, and we will be okay, relatively. Thirdly, what do we really know about persecution or tough times, even though we see this current you know, political climate in our, in our country, the things that go on, what do we really know of persecution? Whenever we have a flat tire, things are difficult at work, or perhaps our marriage is going through a rough patch. Those things are difficult, not to be taken lightly, but how hard really are our lives when we compare it to some of the times in other places in the world today and times in the past, and see what God's people have been through. One of the, of the thoughts as to why much of the social unrest and perceived persecution uh, in our country is going on is because we're not oppressed. Um, when, we, when countries and places seem to have easy lives, you can see this throughout history it seems, but when things are easy and times are good, we almost start to make up things to be oppressed by. Humans seem to manufacture their own problems even if they aren't really there. And many in our country seems to have lost sight of how great things are and focus on finding something negative or just pretending there's something negative to complain and to virtue signal about. But we aren't living in caves. We aren't starving. And if you try and do the most basic thing like grow a garden, keep your family alive, you don't have to worry about some of the nation coming and taking everything, potentially killing you in the process. We're told that the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree and in Ophrah, that the tree belonged to a man named Joash, the Abizrat. And he sits there and he's observing this Joash's son, Gideon, we're told. And when he sees him, he's down in a wine press. Um, and he's, but he's not pressing wine. A, a wine press would be a large basin that they would fill with grapes that they would stomp on to press out the juice. But Gideon isn't pressing out juice from the grapes. Gideon, we see, is in the wine press and he's threshing grain. He's hiding down inside this wine press, so no one will see him. Apparently it's the time of harvest and they have some grain and he has some that he's accumulated and he's threshing the grain out there to to try to keep out of the sight of the Midianites. Once again showing us how dire the circumstances are and how terrifying it must have been for Israel at this time. And the angel of the Lord greets Gideon, and we continue in chapter 6, verse 12 through 16, and says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why has he befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Have not I sent thee? he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. How strange for Gideon must have felt whenever he was greeted by this angel. I don't know that he really knows who he's speaking to at this point. And he greets him with, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. It must seem very possibly terrifying if a man just appears out of nowhere where he's trying to hide and be secretive, um, but also to greet him in this way. He's currently hiding in a wine press. He's called a man about his hiding in a wine press, threshing grain for the fear of being seen by an occupying force. He goes further to, to show how weak he, he is. He says his clan is the weakest in all Manasseh and of his father's house. He is the least. I think sitting on this side of history that we can... You know, very well see what's going on for all the reasons that he has mentioned. I think this is why he was chosen. We will see this idea repeated later. But God wanted to prove that it was his power that could lead them to victory and out of bondage. Once again, not the power or the ability of man. So he's choosing the lowest person that he can through the Lord. Gideon will become this mighty man of valor. Gideon also seems to object to him, saying that the Lord is with him, stating that the Lord hath forsaken them, allowed this to happen to them. Because the Israelites have been warned, as we read, that if they transgressed, just as they have been warned, that things would happen. In Leviticus chapter 26, you can read where they are told that if they do not obey the Lord, that their enemies will defeat them, and they will sow seed, and their enemies will take it, amongst many other things. And they had forgotten. They were allowed to prosper, and had forgotten what had been allowed to happen would have been given and granted to them. They forgot that God allowed themselves, them to have these things, and they betrayed him, they were led astray by the other nations. But so God, always through his word, allowed these things to happen to them, just as he had warned. And then Gideon verse 17 says, If now I find favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with, talk to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. So Gideon asks for a sign, and I can't say that I would be much different. We're not told that he became aware of the true nature of the stranger um, and the situation. He and his kids are in. I'm sure that he is very wary of this stranger who has just shown up. So he asks for a sign. He asks the stranger to wait while he goes and fetches an offering. The angel says that he will wait, and Gideon turns or he runs off to prepare the sacrifice. When he returns, he's instructed to lay the offering on a rock. Gideon prepared a young goat and unleavened bread. I think this shows how sincere Gideon really is at this point about his desire to please God and to obey him that he may save not only himself but his people. He obviously believes there's something about this, there's something going on. Living in such an impoverished state in a country when everyone is doing without so much, and you're having to hide, just thresh out a little grain, to go and slaughter a goat and to bake bread, basically give up a large portion, I would imagine, of your food supply, shows great faith that he believed in whoever the stranger was. And Gideon, he does this. <clears throat> and this so this when he says this is a sacrifice, it truly was a sacrifice for Gideon. He was sacrificing quite a lot for this. When we're asked to give of our time, whether it's coming to worship services or to gospel meetings, which we just had a great gospel meeting with Brother Kevin, in the giving of our prosperity on the first day of the week, or when we're commanded to give, when we're to give back as we're prospered, or when a brother and sister is in need, or our time in prayer, helping others, or helping whoever it may be, this is asked of us. Are we really sacrificing? For God, as Gideon did, is what we're giving really a sacrifice? Or is it just what we're not really going to notice that's going to go missing? Or are we truly sacrificing because we truly have faith and believe in what we're doing? We're told the angel of the Lord commands the sacrifice to be placed on the rock, and then he stretches out his staff. And when he touched the meat, a flame arose out of the rock, consuming the offering. And the angel of the Lord, we're told, disappeared from his sight. We're told at this moment that Gideon came to the realization that this was the angel of the Lord. He proclaims, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. That's got to be really crazy. This random person appears and you do all this and you believe, but you're not sure what's going on. You put the offering there and it just... Bursts in the flames, the person disappears. Then after disappears and you realize what you've seen, then you hear the Lord's voice in your head saying, Do not fear, you shall not die. It seems that's a lot going on, and it seems like a very short amount of time. Um, that had to have been <clears throat> terrifying, I imagine, for Gideon. So Gideon put his faith in God and in this stranger and offered up a sacrifice. And once the sign was shown, he immediately knew that it was real, and that he had seen the angel of the Lord, knowing that he... Had seen the holiness of god and surely the penalty would be death he realized um as Brother really nate spoke on the fear when the when people realized they were disciples realized they were with jesus and who he really was uh, i think we see a portion of that here realizing who he had just seen and who he'd been in the presence of he he fully felt that he was surely would die for it but god spares him because he has a purpose for him we see that gideon then builds an altar to the lord and calls it the Lord is peace. Since this story takes place over several chapters, I'm kind of condensing it a little bit and reading through. We'll read some more verses uh, as well. God wastes no time in using Gideon for what purpose he has called him. Gideon, Gideon's father Joash, whose tree it was the angel was staying against when he was observing Gideon threshing the grain, um, has an altar to Baal in their town. So Gideon's own family has completely left the true God, is now following this false God. But Gideon is now on a mission from God and is obeying, obeying his will and must have a cho- must make a choice of how he's going to behave. So God tells Gideon that that very night that they had met to go and take his father's young bull, tie it to the altar, and pull it down. And beside the altar, there was a wooden image to Baal. They were to cut it down as well, and to go on top of the hill, build an altar, take the father's bull and offer it up as a burnt offering unto the Lord using the wood from that idol that was to Baal. We're told that Gideon found 10 men who he undoubtedly trusted and were probably not worshippers of Baal and they, that they did just as Gideon was asked. We're told that instead of doing it during the day, they chose to do it at nighttime because he heard his father and his men were in the city. The following morning, you can imagine the city woke up like any other day when they walk, walk out of their doors, <coughs> They can see, maybe they're used to looking over towards that altar and towards that uh, false god, the idol there. They look over and see that the altar is gone. They see that the, the wooden image is gone. And, every, and then they look on top of the hill and they can still see the young bull at the altar, maybe still smoldering from the offering that was given. They immediately go to Joash and demand that his son die for what he has done, for it's, it's revealed, someone told on Gideon that, that it was him. They demand that he die, but Joash stops them. And in verse 31, we see Joash, talk, Joash talking to these angry men. He says, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him as Gideon, Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So this father saves him from being killed, and then changes his name to a name that means "let Baal contend." I'm not sure why Joash did this. Perhaps he wasn't as dedicated to Baal as it, it seemed. He being the owner of the altar and the idol. Perhaps he knew that knew what was right, but didn't have the courage to risk his position there and was proud of getting it done. Uh, maybe, but either way, he saves his life. Or maybe it's just because it was his son, and no matter what it was, he was going to do his best to. Um, save his son. either way he saves him, the name that he gave Gideon was almost a challenge to this false god, Baal. A challenge to the god who doesn't exist, but if you do, you deal with Gideon. And perhaps the Midianites from, perhaps save the Midianites from what was to come. So perhaps he did it as a way to try and maybe appease this false god. We don't know. But of course that was not the case. As the story goes on, we read it seems Almost immediately after this that the Midianites and the Malachites cross over the Jordan River and they encamp in the valley of Jezreel. We aren't told why they crossed over, possibly, since we see Gideon threshing grain. It's probably around harvest time. And they could be coming over to see what they could pillage um, from those in Manasseh. And we are told that they all come over. And remember that they and their camels are as numerous as locusts. And like locusts, they were about to come through and sack the land of all of its resources. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. He blows the trumpet in a crazy twist of the story. All the Abizorites gather around him. Something has changed their hearts in this time, whatever time has passed. <clears throat> They're no longer wanting to kill him, but are ready to, to battle with him as their leader. Perhaps their hearts were pricked by what had taken place in the time that's passed. And with Gideon tearing down the altar and the amassing of the Midianite force. <clears throat> But they are with Gideon, and Gideon sends out messengers to all Manasseh, and they gathered with him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them as well. The Lord has worked a great work in Gideon, and he now is the commander of a large army, and the Spirit of the Lord is with him. But then after all that has happened, Gideon seems unsure doesn't seem to be as confident as you might think he would be and he asked God for another sign to show that he will allow Gideon to save Israel he says that he will put a fleece of wool on the ground and if God will be with him to leave the fleece wet with dew and the ground around it dry so if Gideon goes to bed wakes up the next morning and sure enough the ground is dry with the fleece is wet with enough water we're told to fill a bowl but Gideon still is not sure he asked for another sign. <clears throat> this time he asks God to leave the fleece dry in the morning and have the ground all around it wet. And God obliges, and so sure enough the next morning the ground is covered in dew and the fleece is completely dry. So now Gideon has his proof. He believes that he requires that he and his army arise early in the morning and camp just outside the occupying army by the well of Herod uh, by the hill of Mora. we're told. We know that the Midianites and Malachites were down in the valley, so it looks like a strategic move to place themselves where they are. Not only do they have access to water, but they have the higher ground in the battle. Even when vastly outnumbered, it would give them possibly some slight uh, strategic advantage. But God is not ready for them to attack yet. Remember, God has chosen the lowest member of the weakest tribe in Manasseh, in Manasseh to save Israel. <clears throat> he wants to make sure they know that it's not by their own might or any strategic positioning that they may win any battle <clears throat> that they're they will come into so pick up a judges chapter 7 and verse 2 it reads the lord said to gideon the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the midianites in, into their hands lest israel vaunt themselves against me saying my own hand hath saved me <clears throat> now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people saying whosoever is fearful and afraid Let him return and depart early from the Mount of Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth from the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that, that lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, Every man into his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and they sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. I can only imagine Gideon, as timid as he seems to be, and with no military experience that we know of at all, he only had 32,000 men to start with to go against all the Midianites and the Amalekites. God sends away 31,700 of that force, leaving you with 300. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of the Spartans and the story of the, their 300 that fought the Persian Empire, the Battle of Thermopylae, <clears throat> with King Leonidas against the, the Persians. Um, of course, they lost, but it's a, it's a great story. And um, there's, I know there's movies and things out about it, but the actual historical story of it is still pretty interesting. But this is the original 300 that we have a story of here in the Bible. <clears throat> Gideon's men are the original 300. From the numbers that we see uh, in chapter 8, there's about 135,000 men that they're going up against. 135,000 soldiers versus these this 300 who aren't really an army. They're just, I don't know, they're just. Peasants who live in caves in the mountain. The leader leader is no warrior with no experience. But when God is on your side, things have a way of turning in your favor, especially when you obey His will, do the things He asks you to do. I know sometimes we have a lot of things we struggle with in our lives and we want to make some big gesture. We want to take on too much. I know myself, I always try to take on more than I can chew when it comes to reading plans or studying. I I think if I, I have to do so much... Now, there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes it's just being consistent with the small things and doing the things that we know we must do and doing those things day in and day out and obeying the will of the Lord, following Him, letting Him do the rest. Things just have a way of working out. It may not be what I think it is or what Gideon thought it would be, but the Lord is for us, and the Lord is for us who can be against us. Now, don't you think as unsure and uneasy as Gideon has been this whole time constantly asking for signs, um, that he would probably ask for a sign? I believe he would, and I believe that God knew that as well, because God tells him in verse 10, before Gideon even has a chance to worry or ask for a sign, that he's afraid. um, He tells him to go down to the camp, and into. Listen to the, what the Midianites are saying. In other words, tells them to go spy and get some intelligence on the enemy. And if he does this, that he will be emboldened to go against them. <clears throat> so in Judges chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 12, it reads, "...the Midianites and the Malachites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the sea as the, by the seaside for multitude." And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow, and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled in, into the host of Midian, and came in, unto a tent and smote it, that it fell, and overturned it, that the tent lay, <coughs> lay along. This fellow, and this, his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else, save the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, the man of Israel, for unto his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host." And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered unto your hand the host of Midian. He divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. He said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and altar with me. Then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and, and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow, blow withal, And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the hosts fled to Beth, to Beth Shittah in Zerarath, and to the border of Abel-Mahola, unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of all Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeb they slew in the winepress of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, on the other side of Jordan. So here we see a fantastic victory in very unlikely fashion. God has taken every precaution to make sure that they're aware it is by his hand and not their own. That They have been allowed to persevere. In the midst of the confusion, the Midianites started killing each other. other, The Lord turns their swords upon each other and Gideon is able to rally more soldiers from Ephraim who have come up that were not there with the initial assault and to drive them out. And they take back the watering places, and they kill two of the princes. But there's always someone that is unhappy, no matter how good things are going. Someone always must complain about something and feel things could have gone better. And that is how Ephraim frame was. They came to they come to Gideon, who, with God's help, had brought about this great victory for them all from their oppressors. And they threw a fit that they weren't invited to the fight and in the initial assault of the Midianites. Yeah, things were great and. All and we're able to come down and help afterwards and to help drive them from the land. <clears throat> we have this great victory, but here's what you should have done. Kind of like that. <clears throat> we shouldn't be like ourselves, like these Ephraimites here. We should strive to always be thankful for what we have not and what has been allowed to us. I know I find myself at times wishing things could be a little bit better and a little bit better, and I find myself, if I really sit and think about it, realizing that I am so blessed beyond all measure of what I have any right to be, that it's really um, useless. There's no point in, in complaining. First Thessalonians five eighteen tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you would think that Gideon would just tell him, hey, God said do this, and that's what we did, and it worked. Um, I called you when I was able. For some reason Gideon doesn't do that here. He would every right to, but he decides it's better this time to not have to deal with going to war against Ephraim and have to deal with his pride. And Proverbs fifteen verse one it tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. And that's what Gideon does here. He shows them how great they are as a tribe, and that when they would glean grapes, he tells them this much better than anything that Gideon's people do. He shows them how great <coughs> that they are, and all the things they do. The Lord has allowed them to be the ones that He allowed them to be the ones who killed the princes of Midian, and it worked. Gideon saw that their arrogant pride that had angered them was what was to blame, and he used that to his advantage. He spoke to that and was able to calm them down. Next, we see that Gideon and his band of three hundred men move across the Jordan, and they are exhausted. It's probably daylight at this time, and they've been exhausted all night and all day. So they come to some men of, of Sakoth and ask that they give him and his men some bread. He tells them they're following two kings of Midian, and they're exhausted, and they need some sustenance. And the men of Sakoth refuse. They say, are the hands of Ziba and Zalmuna now in your hand? In other words, do you have them now? <clears throat> because I don't know if you want a chance, if I want a chance giving you bread, if you haven't completely defeated them yet. Maybe you don't catch them, they come back and they kill us. I imagine what they're thinking. <clears throat> Gideon, of course, is very angry with them and says that once the Lord has defeated them, or has helped them defeat the two kings, that he will come back with the thorns of the wilderness, he will tear, tear their flesh from them. Then they move on to Penuel. And they ask the same thing of the men there. They're exhausted. They need something to eat. They ask for food. They get the same answer. And Gideon says, once they returned victorious, he would tear down the tower that's in their city. But still not willing to stop, um, to slow down, he must deal with this at this time and not waste any more time. But these men were, were not only refusing to believe and trust in God, who obviously worked a miracle through Gideon, but there are, also, there are extensive laws about helping those in need, namely fellow Israelites, and they're refusing. And in doing so, they have violated the law. And as such, Gideon has given them the price that, that they will be paid for doing so. We see next that what's left of the 135000 men army is about 15,000, still 50 times greater than the army of Gideon, but 120,000 men have fallen to this point. We're told that Gideon attacked them when the kings fled and they managed to rout the army and take the two kings. Gideon returns and finds a young man of Succoth, of, excuse me, and interrogates him until he is given up all the names of the 77 elders in the town there. He says, here are the ones who ridiculed you. He wants the elders who ridiculed him, who wouldn't help him. And he continues to pay well and does as he says he will. He tears down the tower. But he goes a step further, and he kills. We're told all the men in the city. It seems very harsh, um, but and it's not what he really told, originally told him he was going to do. Um, but I assume that if the sense is harsher, Gideon probably has reasons for doing so. Be told, them, but we're told he doesn't only just tear down their tower; he kills all the men in the city. Gideon then turns judgment to the kings of Midian. He asks them who it was that they had, that that they had killed some time ago, and. Tabor. This was a battle that happened some time ago. And Gideon, he knew the answer to this. Obviously, he was asking for a reason. He wants it, to hear from their mouths what they had done, and we find that they had killed some of Gideon's brethren there. And Gideon's asking this. You know, he already knows the answer. He wants to hear them say it, and then make them pay for it. And then Gideon. Asked his son to slay them. But we're told his son was still a youth and was very afraid, And so then Gideon turns and Gideon kills them himself. After this great victory, the people are so pleased with Gideon that they make him an offer. They ask him to be their king and that the lineage of the king will stay in his family. But we see the modesty and the humbleness of Gideon here. He politely refuses and says that he will not be their king nor will his son. But he says in verse 23, The Lord shall rule over you. He had the absolute ability to take control. They were offering it to him, take control of Israel and to be their king. But he refuses and says, no, you will follow God and not me. He does, however, make a request. He asks for the earrings that they had plundered from the Midianites, as well as the things that Gideon himself had taken from the kings. They already killed him, and he melts them down, and he forms them into an ephod. This version of the word uh, of a Ephod is in reference to some image that was made, no doubt uh, made by Gideon to honor God for the great victory that he um, allowed them to have. <clears throat> and I don't think for one minute that Gideon had any desire for it to become a stumbling block to the people. But God did not ask for a golden image to be built for him that they may look upon and this is a very important point for us to take home, I believe, in the story of the many points we can. Just because we may see some potential merit some potential merit in doing a thing, just because we have nothing but good thoughts in our mind when we do something, does not in any way give us reason to do something contrary to God's word or pretend that this thing that we believe is good, that God also believes is good, just because it doesn't seem inherently wrong on the outside. And Gideon and the children of Israel find this out here. This image leads to apostasy, and all of Israel, including Gideon, in the end become victim to it. They had just come from worshipping Baal and having a carved image in their town. And I wonder what in the world possessed Gideon to think that this would be a good idea. Just, I mean, a short time after this, he tore it down to build another image for them to have. The people end up trading one image for another. We're told that for 40 years Israel had peace Peace again, that Gideon had many wives and a concubine, and he had 70 sons. Gideon died in old age and was buried in his father's tomb, where are told that as soon as Gideon was dead, that Israel played the harlot with the bales, and turned back to Baal. They did not remember the Lord that had delivered them and no longer showed any kindness to the house of Gideon for all the good that he had done for them. And even though he had tried to turn them over to God, he refused to be their king and wanted them to follow God but they weren't true followers of God. They had not truly made a change in their hearts and followed after the law of God. Some people are stubborn, and the Israelites were stubborn. They just could not shake the temptation of the surrounding religious beliefs What other cultures were doing around them. And that's we face that as well. Our culture keeps turning further and further away from God and from the values that <clears throat> the Bible um, shows that we should have. And the more that we are in the world and we... Um, consume media and everythings from the world that you know, naturally will change the way we think over time the more we allow it into our lives. So let that be a warning for us today as well. While we do live in this world and have friends and family who may walk in darkness, we cannot allow that to influence us to the point that we can no longer see the difference between right and wrong. Even with the great victory that God gave Gideon against all odds and all the things that were done they allowed the world to influence them. That's why it's important not only for us as individuals, but also as parents to make sure our children develop their own faith and their own belief in the Word of God, not just doing it because that's what we have done. How many times have we seen once the uh, the patriarch or the matriarch of a family who is so devout to the Lord's church that once they pass away, the family slowly stops assembling with assembling with the saints until there are only a few left. because like the people of Israel, they were there because of the leader. They were following them, not really there because they believed in what he believed. We must be strong so that we that when hard times come we are steadfast and that we must rely must relay that strength to others so that the church here may continue on and be strong, and faithful, as well as our families. That's all the thoughts I have on the story, the story of Gideon this afternoon. Hopefully it wasn't too much repeat, and it was beneficial in some way for everyone. We always want to take this opportunity to um, offer the gospel invitation. If there's someone who hasn't uh, been baptized for the mission of sins, and they, they feel the need to do so, we'd we'll be happy to assist you in that. Or if you are a member, you have any wrongs you need to make right, or would like the prayers. Of the congregation on your behalf. We're happy to assist you in that as well if you come while we stand or while we sing.